Cast Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball, and from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, he is out. He's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at, look at this. Brady is out. And uh, Damon Mack. I don't want to hear to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. PLA Ball Show, hour two of the radio program. And we're going to jump right into an interview that I got a chance to record with a former knuckleball pitcher. And his name is Hal Skinny Brown. And Hal came up and was actually signed by an, as an amateur free agent by the Boston Red Sox. He made his major league debut with the Chicago White Sox in 1951. Went back to the Red Sox for 52 through 55. And had the best success of his career with the Baltimore Orioles from 1955 to 1962. And ended up playing a little bit, a couple games with the Yankees and then with the Astros in 1963 and 1964. 13 years in the big leagues. was 85 and 92. Uh, was a very effective pitcher. Perfected the knuckleball at a young age. And his nickname is Skinny because he was a little chubby as a kid growing up. And uh, you know his parents kind of nicknamed him that and ended up sticking with him. But obviously, if you watched him, uh, you know he kind of wasn't the mockery of skinny, you know, skinny Brown. He was a well, you know, not really a well-rounded guy. Was fairly skinny, had some weight to him. But you know, he's uh, getting up there in age and was willing to give me ten minutes. So I appreciate uh, him giving me some time. And hopefully, you guys enjoy this little interview with. Hal Skinny Brown. This is John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Hal Brown. Hal, thanks for having a couple minutes today. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, first thing I want to get into, uh, you, of course, were given the nickname Skinny. Uh, just let us know about, you know, where, where that came from. I believe it was from your childhood, right? Well, that, that is true. And, of course, being in a southern family, everybody seemed to have had nicknames. And as a baby, I was real fat. And my, my older sister nicknamed me Skinny, and it just stuck with me. And, of course, actually, baseball are always great for having nicknames. And so that has one thing that has stayed with me and just still until today. Yeah, what I find interesting about it is the fact that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you were a little, uh, let's say, a little bigger as a baby, but, you know, as you grew into a man and became, you know, a professional pitcher, you know, it, it didn't really stick with you. You were, you, you know, you were kind of, you know, you kind of became actually on the skinny side. Well, I, I would say I was very normal. Actually, I, most of my playing career, I was like 6'2", 185 pounds. 
my old age a little bit, so I, I'm going go about 176 pounds now. Now, when when you came up and you you actually you came up as a knuckleball pitcher, how did you learn to throw the knuckleball? Well, it was something that as a kid growing up, I just practiced throwing. Really, I uh, learned to throw the knuckleball before I really became a pitcher because I was very shortstop to start with and didn't turn into pitching until my last year in high school when our pitcher graduated and my. I had probably the strongest arm on, on the team, so they made a pitcher out of me. And once again, John Pialli here, former Major League pitcher Hal Brown. Now, uh, you know, you ended up uh, being acquired on three different occasions by Paul Richards. Apparently, he he did find a liking in you. Did you, you know, how, how would you describe your relationship with uh, Mr. Richards? Well, I would say that it was very good. He was a quiet sort of a person, and you never knew exactly what he was thinking. And uh, I, there were several articles written, and as you go back, he was my manager in Pacific Coast League, and he had a daughter that had a disease, and knew she would not live very long, but for some reason she took a liking to me and was always waiting for me after every game. And that could be part of the reason that... Uh, he liked me or pretended to take me with him wherever he went. So I, at least I contributed part of that to that. And also that there was a few years that I helped the ball club. Yeah, no question. And of course, you know, you, you came up with the, with the White Sox in 1951 and 52. I'm just telling you know, for a couple minutes about you know your first uh, you know experience, uh, kind of moving through the minors and getting into the major leagues for the first time. Well, of course, I came out of the service in 1945, and I signed with the Boston Red Sox, and started out in C baseball, and so I had a very good year at 17 and 4, my first year. So back then, you know, you only had 400 major league baseball players, and you had the eight teams in the two leagues, and so you had to work yourself up. To the minor league, so I went from C to B ball and had a very good year at the Piedmont League in 19 and 8. And from there, I go to Scranton, which is A ball, and had another very good year, which was, was somewhere like 12 and 5. And then I go to Louisville of the, in the, uh, the International League, which is Triple A ball. And at the end of that, season, I was traded to Seattle and Pacific Coast League, and part of the, of the trade for Sammy White. And so there is where I met Paul Richards and started playing for him in, in 1950 in Seattle and Pacific Coast League. And of course, it was everybody's ambition to become a major league player. And so I was very disappointed in the first year. I did not, with the White Sox, I didn't have a chance to pitch very much. And, and so I was sent back to Seattle, put in a claim for me. So I was sent back to Seattle and then uh, had a very good year there. And so uh, I, Roger Hornsby, who was the manager of Seattle, uh, 
was also had the job as manager of the White Sox. And so I went to back to the White Sox Chicago for for 1952 season. And during the end of the 52 season, I was traded back to Boston, traded for me, for, for, for me and Marv Griffin. And uh, so I had a couple of years there with Boston. And then Paul came to Baltimore. And so in 55, I, I was bought by Baltimore. And that's where I had uh, uh, a lot of my success in, my, in eight years, and had a very good season and, and good years. I mean, fortunate enough, I'm in Baltimore's Hall of Fame. So uh, I don't know. It's been a kind of a whirlwind for me, but it's been something that I'm really grateful and feel very blessed to have had the success and meet the people in my association with baseball, which I've always loved. So I um, continue to, after I got out, work with a little, little baby here at home. So uh, that, that's about my story as far as baseball goes. Yeah, now as, as you, uh, you know, you pitched 13 seasons in, a, in, in the major leagues, of what point would you have considered yourself, uh, you know, with, with the assumption within your own head that you really, you really were going to stick? Was it, did it, did, was it in Boston? Was it in Baltimore? I think probably it was in, in, in Baltimore uh, because I, I felt pretty confident in, in, in Boston. I had one great year with Boston, and 53-54 uh, was not very good, so it was 55 that I went to the Baltimore. But uh, I, I don't, don't know, but... Uh, you do know one thing that you have to get to the point where you feel comfortable and have confidence in your pitches and don't try to overthrow. A lot of times I think a lot of young players come in and try to overthrow instead of and, and try to throw too hard. And that I have found over the years, and I've helped a lot of young players come along, you, you have to be natural. When you overthrow, your muscles tighten, and you lose a lot of your natural movement off the pitches. So you have to feel comfortable and, and be at ease, I, I think. So that's about my story. And I absolutely agree. And once again, John Piotr here with Kyle Brown. The last question I want to ask you, of course, you had you were drafted into the U.S. Air Force, and you served 32, you know, 32 months, you know, during World War II. Um, what what comes to your mind when you think about, you know, uh, you know, you know, serving your country in World War II? Well, I tell you, I was 18 when I went into service, and, and I had just a few months and spent the rest of the time overseas, and. And after D-Day, spent a lot of my time in, in, in Europe and ran into my, my brother a couple of times over there in Belgium. And as I look back now, I really, it did, it, everything seemed so odd. I don't believe it was me. I don't believe I went through and saw and did the things that I did for those three years in the service. No, absolutely, man. Listen, Hal, I want to thank you for having some time. I appreciate you giving me a couple minutes, and God bless you. Thank you. So that was Hal Brown out from North Carolina. Obviously, wish him the best as him and you know him and his wife are kind of getting up there in age. And 
uh, you know, I appreciate him giving me some time. I mean, you know, for a guy like that who's, you know, probably going through a little bit of health problems now, just to give me a couple minutes, you know, it definitely means a lot. Former knuckleball pitcher, his relationship with Paul Richards ends up kind of allowing him to stick around in Major League Baseball, pitch 13 years at a time where, you know, listen, there are worse, more knuckleball pitchers than there are right now, but here's a guy that decided at a young age that that was what he was going to throw. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to segue into another interview, a different type of interview that I recorded with an infielder by the name of Brad Payne. And Brad's playing um, in an independent ball over the last three seasons. He's looking to continue his career, maybe get another job in independent ball, and maybe eventually uh, being associated with a major league club. And, you know, I, I like these stories because, it, you know, you talk about I could have a bunch of former players or current players on the show. And to me, it doesn't tell the whole story because getting from uh, you know, a good high school player to a good college player to a major league player is not that easy. The best players that come out of high school uh, end up getting weeded out in college, and the best players in college end up getting weeded out when it comes to the pros. And there's a lot of very good, very good, talented players that may not necessarily be scouted correctly that end up going through the waist slide when it comes to the draft and you know, maybe even getting missed when it comes to signing players that end up not getting drafted. But Brad Payne is a guy who spent some time with uh, Lake County in independent ball and the Lincoln Salt Dogs over the last couple seasons. He is uh, looking to get a job. He's looking to get himself another look in independent ball and, you know, maybe a shot at the big leagues someday. The guy, what interests me about him is his versatility. Here's a guy that came up as a shortstop, but uh, throughout his career in independent balls played 36 games at second base, 16 at shortstop, 15 in left field, 13 in right field, 10 at third base, 8 in center field, 6 as a pitcher, and 1 at first base. Only one position that he hasn't played on the field, and that's catcher. So you're looking for a guy with versatility. Uh, Hopefully he could get himself to a point where he's hitting a little more consistently, and if he does, he could absolutely be an asset to somebody, if not a, a major league team in the minors and eventually in the major leagues, but an independent team. So hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with independent league infielder, outfielder, and even pitcher, Brad Payne. Hey, this is John Pielli. I'm here with an infielder and outfielder, most recently of the Lincoln Salt Dogs, and that's Brad Payne. Brad, thanks for having a couple minutes. Uh, no problem. Not at all. Hey, uh, just uh, just kind of give us a little little overview of you know like you know where you came from, where you where you played, let's say you know high school, and you know if you played in college, and a little bit about your tra- you know your, what's transpired to get you to where you're at right now. Well, uh, I grew up in a small town in Iowa. Uh, graduated high school from Alfred. Then, uh the college was a little bit first, and then uh, I got good good offer from uh, Northwestern College, small NAI high school, um, where I was actually offered two scholarships to play football and baseball there. So I played football and baseball my entire baseball, uh, college career. And then what you find in baseball is quite extraordinary. Uh, I was able to make the Super Regional in my freshman year with the team, um, Boston Bellevue, University of Omaha, and then Made it to the regional championship game my sophomore year, lost to Jamestown out of North Dakota. And then senior year, we had some injuries in that, but um, we battled through it and tried to make a run, um, but unfortunately didn't make the playoffs that year. And then senior year, we made it um, two games in the World Series again and lost to Oklahoma City University. And then uh, summer of 2010, I tried real hard to get a, get a contract letter with the MLB team and go to the minors or 
game and unfortunately things didn't work out. So I went back to school, finished up uh, my degree and played my last year of football and then went to some tryouts during the spring semester and uh, put down to a showcase down in Houston and uh, was fortunate enough to get a contract with the Lake County Fielders. Now, tell us a little bit about about you know you know the Lake the Lake County team and the league uh, that you were in. <laughs> uh, it was quite the experience. Um, obviously, I, I was very happy to be able to play secondary uh, ball, which was my dream, you know. And I didn't get to the level I wanted to, but um, it was a blast. Uh, the, the league was spread out. Uh, I was shocked when I found out where the teams were located. Um, they were the only team located in the Midwest, um, out of Zion, Illinois. And then there were four teams down in Texas, and then um, there was a team in Arizona, in Yuma. And then we went out and played in Maui twice. And then uh, there was a team in Chico, California, and then Calgary and Edmonton up in uh, Alberta, Canada. So, so it must have been a lot of traveling. And, you know, was that something that you were used to? I'm sure playing, you know, college ball, you probably didn't travel as far, right? <laughs> Um, no, no, we didn't travel as far, and obviously um, we were unfortunate with the scheduling that we didn't get to play any of the Texas teams, which would have been pretty kind of quite fun to head down south and enjoy the Spartan barbecues on our off day or in the, or for lunch. But yeah, no question. Uh, uh, we uh, did uh, go out to Maui, started the season off out there, and then we played out in Arizona. California, up in Canada, uh, a couple times, so we flew everywhere we had to. And once again, John, John Pialli here with uh, infielder Brad Payne. Now, you know, the next couple seasons you end up uh, playing, uh, you know, playing for Lincoln Salt Dogs, and, you know, I'm a little bit familiar with that league. I followed some uh, some players that played for the Newark Bears. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience there, and what do you saw the biggest difference between the two different leagues that you played in? Um, well, the two different, the biggest difference was just the, like the experience level of players um, between the leagues. Um, obviously, the American Association is a lot more established than what the North American League was, which is um, now defunct. Um, but just the guys, you know, in general, their experience and able to learn from them, that was quite the experience. Plus, in college, you know, you can have up to 30 guys on your roster, well, in the American Association, you can only have 22 guys. So, um, one thing that I was very fortunate enough was I actually got to play multiple different, uh, multiple positions. Um, played every position to outfield. Um, I played, I played every position in the infield. I even got a pitch in my two years at Lincoln. Yeah, and I actually find that very interesting that, you know, for, you know, for a guy that's, you know, obviously looking to get himself, you know, kind of further on in the process, you kind of have some versatility in you. The, the ability to play different positions obviously could create uh, better options for you down the road. Was this was this something that you kind of volunteered for, or was it just, uh, you know, just kind of a thing you were asked, and you're like, hey, I'll do whatever? Um, well, like... And the utility guy, you know, is a very vital role to, to a team because that person can play multiple positions. And um, every place I've been with, between Lake County and uh, um, Lincoln and then even in college, I didn't go in trying to be, like, the utility guy or anything. No, I, I wanted to be that guy out there every day um, playing shortstops or second base. So basically, Anyone in the field that can be at, you play every day. That's what I wanted to be. 
Now, did you feel that was able to happen at any one point during your couple seasons in Lincoln? Um, I thought it might happen. Uh, obviously, you know, the circumstances um, that came about, I was able to play quite frequently because of injuries and that. But um, most likely, it just seemed like they saw me more as a utility guy, not a, an everyday guy type of player for them. So I, I just gave it my all, and hopefully just my play more volume than me just going in and talking to the manager, trying to get more playing time than, than that. And once again, John Pielli here with uh, infielder for most recently the Lincoln Salt Dogs, and that's Brad Payne now. You know, uh, did you consider really in your three years playing independent ball, was there any one player or coach that kind of stood out and kind of uh, mentoring you or maybe one player in particular that you were glad to have a chance to play with because it kind of, uh, you know, helped you progress in regards to what you're looking to do? Um, one guy that I can really um, thank a lot, uh, Mike Hoffman, uh, he was Ready for the off season, and you're obviously, uh, you know, quite a quite a couple time, you know, a little time into it. Uh, what are you doing to prepare yourself for next season? Um, obviously, uh, you need a, a little downtime um, just to let your body recuperate because the long season and the travel it takes the wear and tear on your body. Um, then after that, it starts the weight training uh, and just building that muscle strength back up, um, and then just making yourself better and setting your goals the way you want and and uh, push yourself, whether you need to do it yourself or you need the help of somebody else. Um, and that's what really helped me out after the 2012 season, um, after uh, being injured and ending my season the way it did. Um, and with that type of injury, I thought my career was over. Yeah, now, listen, I wish you the best of luck, man. Hopefully, you know, you end up getting yourself, a, you know, a job with somebody, whether it's an independent ball or hopefully a major league team comes calling. Brad, thanks for having some time, and hope to talk to you again soon. No, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hopefully, you guys got to enjoy that spot there with Brad Payne and, of course, Hal Brown before it and a chance to speak with a couple different players that obviously – are in different type of positions. Hal Brown is looking back on his time, you know, World War II and pitching in the major leagues in the 50s and 60s. And Brad Payne is looking to maybe make his major league debut sometime within the next three, four years. But he's obviously got to get himself in a professional contract. And, you know, obviously wish him, you know, a ton of luck. And, you know, I, I really do like telling these stories about minor league players because it's, it, you know, if you're a baseball fan, you don't understand 
what it's like for, for these players to be kind of going from place to place and get themselves into positions to get a job because, you know, you, you have you have a talent that maybe not too many people have seen or maybe the scouts that have seen it didn't see what you see or your coaches see or the people that have believed in you see. And, you know, obviously there's, a, there's another situation of a player that's, you know, going to get himself through. Hopefully, you know, he's only 26, 27 years old, has plenty of time to play professional baseball, and hopefully there's enough of an opportunity for him to reach his full potential. But what I'm going to do right here is take our first break of the program. We'll be back with uh, Bases Empty Blog segment. We're going to recap some of the stuff that I've written about over the past week. We can catch out on johnpla.com and mtrmedia.com slash johnpla. We'll be right back with all of that after this. Hey, guys and gals. Want to have a great time dining out while watching your favorite sport on HGTV? Then come on down to Hooters of Princeton, New Jersey, located on Route 1 South in Trenton in the Mercer Mall. Hi, I'm Deja. And I'm Corey. These are great deals all week, bound to whet your appetite and satisfy your hunger. Check out our Monday Mondays, where you can have a delicious cheeseburger and fries for only $6.99. On Tuesdays, we have all-you-can-eat wings all day, just $12.99 per person or $10.99 for boneless. On Wednesdays, you can get 10 boneless wings and an order of fries for just $6.99. On Saturday, kids eat free for every meal ordered by an accompanying adult, and the meals are served on Frisbees. We have half-price appetizers from 10 p.m. until close every day. You can then enjoy your cold draft beer with our mouth-watering crab clusters for only $5. Remember, we are located in Trenton on Route 1 South in the Mercer Mall, just south of Quaker Bridge Road. For any information, call us at 609-520-WINGS. That's 609-520-9464. So come on in and watch your favorite football team while having a great meal, served up by the nicest and the hottest girls anywhere. Hope to see you there! Hey, I'm Sean Big Daddy Lynch. I'm Joe Delisanti. And I'm Tim O'Brien. And, and we're, we're your favorite tailgaters. Listen to our show every Tuesday morning from 11 to 12 on NTR Radio. We'll tempt your palate with football, basketball, baseball, hockey, you name it, we got it. That's right, we do. We'll stir things up, voice what's grinding our gears, and just talk plain sports. We hold nothing back. Sports Talk Radio. Are you ready for the tailgaters? Taste is empty, blah. Go ahead, laugh. Laugh all you want. But the fact of the matter is, this is this is the setting for the greatest story ever told. Okay? Taste is empty, blah. 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 John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, and we're going to jump right into the stuff I've been talking about in my blog. And the most recent article I wrote was a little bit about the career of Andrew Jones. And Andrew Jones, from when he played, really from 1995 up until he ended up leaving the Atlanta Braves, was known as the premier defensive center fielder in all Major League Baseball. And he obviously had a couple years, 51 home runs, 41 home runs, and then a down season in his last year under contact track by the Atlanta Braves. And the unfortunate thing about that is obviously there's ties to steroids where people think that maybe he was using, maybe he wasn't. And I'm going to continue to go with the philosophy if there's no proof. I'm just going to say he didn't do it. 
And Andrew Jones, after he left the Atlanta Braves, his career kind of went down the tubes a little bit, is on the second year of uh, his his deal with the Ratuchin Golden Eagles down in uh, Japan. He played there last year, was re-upped for this season, but uh, a guy that signed a two-year, $36 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers after the 2006 season, and obviously things didn't work out well for him. He was only age 30 as he was in his age 27 season hit 158 three homers 14 rbis struck out 76 times the 209 at bats and then he was released by the dodgers before the 2009 season the team was able to defer some of his contract through the 2012 season so he ends up making uh, 3.2 million in 2010 3.2 million in 2011 and 2012 uh, all while he's playing for different organizations the texas rangers were the first team to take a shot at him in uh, 2009 for $500,000, he had 214, 17 homers, 43 RBIs in 82 games without playing a single game in center field. The White Sox brought him in for 2010, same type of deal, 500000 He did a little better. He had 248, 19 homers, 48 RBIs, had an 827 OPS in 105 games. He then signed a two-year, $3.5 million deal with the Yankees after that season. He had a good 2011 season. He had 247, 13 homers, 33 RBIs, 851 OPS in 77 games, and a lousy 2012 season, hitting 197, 14, 34, 701 OPS in 94 games but you know he ends up spending the last the last season in a retuchin for playing for the golden eagles he hit 243 but hit 26 homers drove in 94 rbis had 845 ops in spite of that jump um he is off track of what was seen during his time in atlanta and i just want to break down his numbers where he was at age 30 with the atlanta braves coming off the 51 and 41 home run seasons um, he ends up hitting 243 for his career, 368 home runs, 1117 RBIs, 1683 hits, 1045 runs scored. Uh, he was the best defensive center fielder in the game. Ten gold gloves already, five all-star selections. 2007 season took him to age 30, like I said. The problem, is obviously, is that he deteriorated both offensively and defensively. Still a useful defensive outfielder, but obviously not at the top of the game. But everything he accomplished up until age 30, in my opinion, put him right up there with an Ozzie Smith type of player, that he had offensive numbers to back it up that may not have dominated, but what he did defensively could have made him a Hall of Fame type of player if he maintained that over a course of the next 10 years. An unfortunate situation ended up not working out that way in regards to Andrew Jones. But uh, Daryl Porter, former catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, Milwaukee Brewers, Kansas City Royals, amongst other teams, would have been 62 a day last week. He passed away in 2002 of a cocaine-induced heart attack. He was an inconsistent offensive player, though you know he was considered one of the top offensive catchers in baseball from 1977 to 1979 with the Royals. He also had a fantastic 1982 World Series where he's the World Series MVP for the St. Louis Cardinals. And he was another guy that was involved in a tough time where a lot of players were using cocaine. And the late 70s, early 80s, really from 80 to 83 is where it kind of stands out. Guys like Willie Aikens, 
Willie Wilson and later on guys like Strawberry and Doc Gooden and Steve Howe end up having serious problems with cocaine and it was prevalent in baseball a lot of players were using it similar to what we could say now about the amount of players that are using performance enhancing drugs and steroids in the game cocaine kind of ruled the decade of the 80s and ends up taking the life of Daryl Porter at a very young age and obviously there's no question there's so many players that were involved in cocaine and my question is about this and you know, I've had Willie Aikens on my show. He, he, you know, did a tremendous job. He wrote a book about a story, and others have. You know, Willie Wilson has recently written a book. To me, players that did cocaine, what is the big difference between players that did cocaine and did steroids? People did steroids, obviously. People say, hey, they gave, they had a, a, an advantage on the playing field, but also, you know, players that did cocaine. I don't know if it necessarily gave them an advantage playing baseball because if they were out all night the night before, maybe they were a little groggy, maybe it was a disadvantage. But, you know, maybe if somebody was playing the game of baseball under the influence of cocaine, uh, the confidence that you have, you know, you talk about roid rages with steroids. I'm sure rages involved with the use of cocaine could be up at the same level or, you know, better or worse, depending on how you look at it. But obviously it was a tough time and a lot of players were mentioned in regards to using cocaine throughout their career. And I think fans just kind of look look at it and say, hey, they were having fun. And obviously in cases of Gooden and Strawberry, it ruined their careers. And in Steve Howe and Daryl Porter's instances, it ends up ruining their lives and taking their lives at a young age. An unfortunate situation, but Daryl Porter, very good catcher, probably not a Hall of Fame type of catcher. He was He was good. He had some good years, like I mentioned, with the Kansas City Royals. Uh, ends up winning... Of the World Series for the Cardinals in 1982 was part of the Royals AL pennant winning team in 1980 and the Cardinals pennant winning team in 1985 where they lost to his prior teammates the Royals and of course the Brewers who are his original team were the team that Porter and the Cardinals faced in 1982 when they won the World Series but you know you ask what could have been and you know you could say that about many players in the game and I'm sure Daryl Porter had a couple more solid seasons left in him and could have probably produced a little better if he wasn't under the influence of cocaine so you know to kind of compare my story to that in steroids I think cocaine ruined careers as opposed to enhanced stats and that's why people are so interested in steroids and performance enhancing drugs and making such a big deal about it as opposed to the use of cocaine which in many cases ruined careers of professional baseball players. But once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Don't forget, JohnPielli.com, Bases Empty Blog. And if you follow the blog, and if you haven't, and maybe take a glance and take a look over on MTRmedia.com slash John Pielli, um, I, I, I came up with an interesting article the other day. It was talking about the spitball. And Elmer Strickett, who was a pitcher for the Chicago White Sox and Brooklyn Superbaz, didn't pitch very long in the major leagues, but some have thought that maybe he was the actual creator of the spitball. And many in the history of Major League Baseball have been known to throw it, from Whitey Ford to Gaylord Perry to so many pitchers in between. Ferguson Jenkins was even mentioned. I, you know, Of course, on this show, I didn't get a chance to ask him, but you know, there's talks that maybe he was throwing a spitball at certain points of his career. But Strickler was actually suspended, but not for throwing the spitball. He was pitching for outlaw teams, so he was ended up being reinstated in 1912. But uh, Bill James and Rob Nyer have been two who have started at a, the fact that maybe it was not Strickland that invented the pitch. Reportedly, Elmer never claimed to have invented a pitch himself. 
he he did claim to have mastered the pitch though, and he he did based on the way he threw it. But two pitchers he taught the pitch to, Ed Walsh and Jack Chesbro, would end up making it into baseball's Hall of Fame. Strickler reportedly learned the pitch from a guy by the name of Hillenbrand, George Hillenbrand, H-I-L-D-E-B-R-A-N-D, in 1902. And he learned the pitch, supposedly, Hildebrand learned it from Frank Corridan, who pitched in the big leagues from 1904 to 1910. So Frank Corridan is actually the originator of the spitball, according to some sources. He apparently picked up a ball that was in a puddle, and the ball was submerged halfway, wet on one side. After he threw the ball, he noticed that it had a different flight to the ball and was able to move differently. So he experimented with it, was able to hold on to a decent MLB career, strictly by throwing that pitch. And obviously, if you remember, in uh, maybe not too many people remember, but if you've done your research and know your baseball history, the spitball was outlawed after the 1919 season. It was actually outlawed in two separate phases. For the 1920 season, all Major League Baseball teams were allowed to select two pitchers that were allowed to throw the spitball. And that was the way it was set up for the 1920 season. After 1920, the pitch was outlawed completely. So what, the only pitchers that were allowed to throw it were the ones that were grandfathered in. And many pitchers were allowed to throw the pitch for a, for a long period of time afterwards, the longest being Burley Grimes, who ends up uh, pitching until the 1934 season. Others that were grandfathered in were Urban Shocker, Dutch Leonard, and Red Faber. So, you know, the you know, look at the origins of the spitball, Frank Corridan, not Elmer Stricklett, and of course Burley Grimes was the last pitcher to legally be able to throw the spitball. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We'll take a last break of this hour, finish off by speaking with Major League Baseball left-hand pitcher Bill Bray right after this. I'm Karen Siaska-Zeltman from Italian Hour. When my car needs service, I take it to Jonathan's Complete Car Care. Jonathan's Complete Car Care is the best for auto repairs, tires, diagnostics, and tune-ups. You can depend on Jonathan's for the best service at prices you can afford. Give Jonathan's Complete Car Care a call. 609-601-6460. They work hard to give you the service you need. Jonathan's Complete Car Care works with many vehicles, including Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Volvo, Volkswagen, and Audi. Make Jonathan's Complete Car Care the company you keep. 609-601-6460. Call today for a free estimate or visit. Find us on the web at jonathanscompletecarcare.com and like us on Facebook and find us on Twitter. Listening to MTR Radio, powered by MTRmedia.com. Tune in to John Pielli's basketball show. Hosted by a guy called John Pielli. Tune in to John Pielli's basketball show. Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. I'm going to play an interview I recorded with Major League left-hand pitcher Bill Bray. And Bill came up with the Washington Nationals, was actually drafted by the Montreal Expos, and has had the most success of his career with the Cincinnati Reds. He's had a couple of uh, major operations, including Tommy John surgery, and is getting himself in a position where he could help a big league club hopefully sometime this season. So hopefully you guys enjoy this interview with 
pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds, and most recently to Washington Nationals organization, Bill Bray. Morning, this is John Fialli. I'm here with free agent left-hand pitcher Bill Bray. Bill, thanks for having a couple minutes, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no question, man. And uh, you know, we'll start out for you know, just ask about you. You know, how how are you feeling now? How's your arm feeling? And uh, you know, what what are you thinking about in regards to next season? Uh, I mean, I feel good. Um, I feel very strong. I had uh, rotator lateral surgery in June of last year, and uh, I'm continuing to rehab from that. I've been throwing for about a month. It's going all right. Uh, that's definitely going to continue on with my flexibility. Yeah, it's good to hear, man. Of course, Bill, you know, you came up, you know, you were drafted originally in the first round by the Montreal Expos in 2004. And, you know, tell, take us back to then to talk about a little bit about your development and, you know, what turned out to be kind of a quick uh, turnaround from you being drafted to you making your major league debut. Well, I, I was very fortunate to, to come here at a time when a lot of college relievers were being drafted high. traded in a you know multiplayer deal with the Cincinnati Reds. You know, tell us a little bit about that reaction because I'm sure, you know, you're still being a young pitcher, you know, just kind of establishing yourself, trying to uh, make sure you stick in the major leagues once you get up there. Probably had to throw a little uh, you know, a little uh, wrench into it being traded. Yeah, it, it really good. It, it, it's a very different feeling. On one hand you're excited because you're going to in the situation I was in, I was uh, from last place to first place into a into playoff place, which was really exciting. And, you know, you know that team really wants you in the trade for you, but at the same time, you also feel like the end of the team that has you didn't want you anymore. But you just have to realize that it's a business, and it was an offer that they knew. If you, like, I think ESPN called it the worst trade of the decade. I mean, at the time, it you know, kind of hurt a little bit, you know, lucky. Uh, but, you know, it's I'll never forget walking into the Lutz Clubhouse uh, that day and meeting King Griffey Jr. I didn't even know how to address him. You know, he's been one of my heroes for as long as I can remember. And there he is sitting on the couch in the locker room when I walked in the door. And you, you walk up and you go, um, yeah, how do I? Oh, I say, hello. Do I say, hi, Ken? Do I say, hey, good person, Mr. Griffey? And, uh, but it, it was, it was wonderful. It was rather wonderful when I got traded. And, you know, welcome me right in, you know, every night out there, which was great. Um, but it was definitely weird because, like you said, I was trying to establish myself in the major leagues and just get comfortable pitching for the Nationals. And a month later, here I am getting traded for the Reds and having to start that process all over again with one organization where I knew no one. Uh, I mean, it, was a, it was a good experience. It was a 
Cincinnati. Now, I'll tell you one thing about, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., I'm sure this crossed your mind as well. Hey, at least, you know, at least I don't have to worry about getting this guy out. He's on my team now. Yeah, I think that's one of my uh, regrets for playing is that I didn't get to face Griff. I would have loved to have faced him. I'm sure it kind of went back and forth. Now, you know, moving forward, of course, you, you end up, uh, you know, having that tough arm injury, having to, uh, you know, undergo Tommy John surgery, I believe, in uh, 2009, if I'm not mistaken. You know, take us back to that time. How, you know, how scared were you in regards to uh, going through the process and maybe not being 100% when you come back? Or maybe it was the opposite feeling. Maybe you, you've seen enough pitchers undergo it to feel where you're confident enough you were going to be all right within a year. Piala here with Raging Left Hand Pitcher Bill Bray. Now, you know, you, you know, you go through, you come back in 2010, you kind of, you know, start to have some of your, you know, the most success you've had uh, with the Reds throughout that time, uh, including a postseason appearance with the Reds in 2010. You know, take us back to that time and tell us a little bit about, you know, number one, how your arm felt when you started throwing again and started uh, getting yourself into competitive action, and then, you know, how it felt to be, you know, with the Reds team that obviously had a lot of talent at that time and, you know, had made the playoffs. Uh, that was incredible. Um, you know, the funny thing about coming back in 2010, pitching half the season after coming down, was you don't know where your command is going to be. Your arm feels good. The command was the major issue. I, I dropped there one day and had 10-point command. The next day I dropped there and feel great, and the ball be all over the place. It's it, just like your command vanished. It, you know, I wouldn't know until I got out there. And then the next year, it went real well. But then 2010, pitching the playoffs was incredible. I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but being the pitch in more holidays, um, you know, hitting in the playoffs, usually one of my favorite games. I mean, it, it wasn't fun at the time to be on the losing side of that game, but just to be there to watch it. And I threw the bottom of the eighth um, at that game, and you walking off the field as Roy was coming on, and you know, I think I punched out Ryan Howard to end the inning. And all of a sudden, there's just standing there. And said, I'm, I'm so locked into the game at that point. I'm like, what is, why is everybody cheering? And then all of a sudden, it started, Roy, Roy, Roy. You realize that he's throwing a no-hitter. And, I mean, it, it was just an incredible experience. But I wish, we, of course, we would have won the dog. But um, pitching in the playoffs is just insane. I mean, it's the wildest I've ever uh, pitch fit. I mean, most of the it, it was awesome. 
No, I tell you, going back to that game, of course, you know, the holiday no-hitter. I mean, was there, a, was there a situation where you felt that this game was kind of swinging in that direction? I know, you know, being on the opposition, you know, like you said, number one, you want to go out there and win the game. You're in the playoffs. You felt like, you know, the Reds were as good as the Phillies. And, you know, they very, they very well could have beaten them. But, you know, was there a certain point where you looked at it and you said, wow, you know, what has a chance to happen tonight can be so historic? postseason games ever pitched. Once again, John Pielli here with Bill Bray. You know, now as, now as you go forward, you, you mentioned you're battling, you know, arm issues that, you know, continue to kind of get in your way. But, you know, 2011, you get a chance to pitch in a considerable amount of games amongst the, you know, the top ten in the National League in regards to games pitched. And then, you know, the injuries kind of get you again in 2012. That had to be frustrating at that point after, you know, establishing yourself for a couple pretty good seasons. surgery again? you in regards to right now? Are you in a position where you could, you know, see yourself pitching in in, uh, in spring training, or are you still a little bit ways away from getting in a game shape? Um, I'm a good ways away. Um, matter of fact, I am currently not looking for a job in spring training. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to be 31 this year, and um, I, I know we're at the wall when I'm healthy, and the thought of sitting in my elite spring training facility uh, for the next five months just wasn't appealing at the moment. So we're kind of going to pull Brian Wilson and, you know, rehab at home. And I'm, I'm enrolled at classes at William and Mary uh, 
for the spring semester and I'm going to rehab here and I'm going to throw with the baseball team there that I played with in college and I'll just continue to work and once I am fully healthy and ready to go, I'll, I'll contact teams and you know make a push to get back. Hey, once again, John Fialli here with free agent left-hand pitcher Bill Bray. And I tell you, you just hey, you hit on something pretty important, man. Obviously, you hit a certain point in life where, you know, you're playing a game that you love, but you also understand that there is a short window, whether, you know, whether it's for some people a couple of years, others, it could be up to 10 years. And, you know, of course, the, you know, the ones that get a chance to uh, experience it all, you know, get to play longer than that. But, you know, it's good to see that you have some priorities set where you're looking at your life really after the game, whether, you know, it could be now, but, you know, even if it isn't, if you end up pitching for, you know, several more seasons, uh, there's going to come a point where you're going to have to make a a change in regards to your life and have to do something else other than throwing a baseball for a living. Uh, No, you're absolutely right. Um, I didn't feel like I would have any problem getting a job, Um, but that never even crossed my mind. I knew that if I wanted to go to spring training, that there would be opportunities for me. going for you. You obviously throw from the left side. You've established yourself that if you can get yourself back to full health, I mean, you said it yourself, uh, you know you can be an asset to a Major League Baseball team. So, Bill, I wish you the best of luck. I hope everything ends up working out for you. You know, keep keep up the good work with the rehab and hope to see you back in the big soon. Uh, no problem, man. Thank you. Great opportunity to catch up with Bill Bray there. And, you know, nice to see that he's actually going back to school, looking to set himself up for a career after baseball. But a left-hand pitcher and you know, is obviously in demand in baseball. And if he could keep his arm healthy, which he has, he's getting himself to a point where he's going to be throwing soon. I would expect to see him wearing a major league uniform some point this season, probably after having to prove himself a little bit in the minor leagues, maybe his arm speed, his velocity, his delivery, just to kind of prove that he's back and set ready to go. But, you know, it would be good to see Bill Bray back in the major leagues this year. And I don't think it'll be a surprise to see him there. But big thanks to Ferguson Jenkins, to Hal Brown, to Brad Payne, and of course, Bill Bray for all being part of this uh, edition of the Pass Ball Show. We'll be back with you next week. A lot more stuff going on. I've been working on a lot of projects, so you know, hopefully you guys uh, tune in and see the, the next people I have on the Pass Ball Show, and obviously we'll see how things went out with the, my free agent predictions, and I'll talk about either being wrong about Masahiro Tanaka with the Cubs or right about it, and we'll get into the other stuff going on with that, free agency, Major League Baseball, everything you need to know about Major League Baseball right here on the Pass Ball Show. See you next week. Chicago, American Airlines, we mean business in Chicago.